Good. All right. Good morning, church. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Graham, and I have the privilege of being the interim senior pastor at Oakton. Uh, now, John 13, it has been recently told me that this is the podiatrist's favorite text, all about washing feet. Uh, now, years ago, uh, it is now years ago, when I graduated from university, I went to university in Durban, uh, and I moved to Johannesburg, and I began working for a German electrical engineering company called Siemens. And they kind of zazzed the whole thing up with the application, come and be part of this exciting team, and you're going to be exposed to all this different business stuff. But the truth is, when you got there, all they really wanted you to do is uh, file and make photocopies. And that's what I did. When I got there, I was filing, I was making photocopies. Um, but I, my boss came to me one day and he said, listen, we've got this huge project down in Durban. Now, Durban, that's where I studied. And it's not going well. Like, they're running at a loss. Uh, they've had delays. Would you go down to Durban and kind of check the receipts against the statements uh, and just kind of close that loop? And I'm like, what? This is awesome. I get to, you guys are going to pay me to go and visit my old mates in Durban? Count me in. I'm there. So off I went, I drove down, and, and for my first day, uh, I thought I'd dress up a little bit nice, and I walked in. Uh, it was a Monday morning, and the person at the front desk greeted me, and I said, hi, my name is Graham. I'm from uh, the head office, and I'm here about the project by the sea. Now, that was the project that was, wasn't going so well. She jumped up, and she greeted me with this huge smile. Thank you so much for coming. Can I make you a coffee? And I'm like, oh, that's, I really haven't usually, not used to this greeting, but yeah, I'll take a coffee. Uh, then oh, let me introduce you to our managing director. So I went up, I met the managing director. This is amazing, right? No, and then I met all the other important people in the building. Um, and uh, she said to me, listen, our, our first meeting for By the Sea, the, the engineers and the accountants will be here at 10 o'clock. I'll have a pack ready for you about that meeting in five minutes. And in five minutes, she had a pack put in front of me. Thought, this is amazing, right? And 10 o'clock came and got me and took me into the office. And there were a bunch of people sitting around the boardroom. Um, it became very clear at about the five-minute mark that I was not who they thought I was. Because the engineers started speaking this other language, and I had no idea what they were talking about. But then they looked at me for an answer to say something profound, and I had nothing to give them. And then I think they twigged, oh my goodness, this guy isn't from head office, he's, he's just here. So anyway, it was a very awkward two hours of me sitting in this meeting just Plumbing, thumbing through this back, not really knowing what I was to do there. They then realized I wasn't actually that important and just kind of ignored me. After that, I was then moved to a little corner office, tiny little place, and uh, placed right next to the photocopy machine. So for the rest of the week, I was photocopying receipts. But it really is this example of how the world esteems, perceived power and authority and status and how we, we, we kind of revolve around that and we praise that and we esteem that. Uh, and the exact opposite, when you're not that important, well, you know, you just, you just make photocopies, you sit in the back. And that's almost exactly what Jesus is going to do in this passage. He's going to completely flip it on its head. 
Now, the setting is the Last Supper, right? This is a disciples that are gathered for the Passover meal. And what we're doing as we're going through the series, as we look at Simon Peter, we're looking at these events through the eyes of Simon Peter. And we're not just going through these events, we're trying to get under Peter's skin to find out how he was thinking, how he was feeling, what was the condition of his heart through all these things. Now, it had been a bit of a hectic week, but Jesus had at last looked like he was going to do what everyone wanted him to do. He was going to claim the throne. He was going to become king of Israel. He was going to lead a rebellion and throw out the Romans, and he was going to set himself up. And of course, if that was the case, he was going to need some leaders. And Peter and John were right there thinking, listen, we must be in the running for some of those top posts. You see, that very night, they had been arguing amongst themselves, who was the greatest of the 12? Who was the most important? And Jesus knew it. Jesus knew it. Now, it had kind of been a week of setbacks. If you plan on overthrowing the Romans, there are a few things that Jesus had done in this last week which weren't really the best move, but they still had hope because the Passover was about to start, and this would mean you would have about 2.5 million people descending on Jerusalem. This was the perfect time, the best opportunity to do what they believed Jesus would do. So they were expecting big things. The disciples are pumped, right? This is they, they're expecting the kingdom to be restored. They're expecting positions in that kingdom. And that night, Jesus says to them, he says, listen, I, I want to have an evening meal with you. And then he says something rather strange. He goes, Peter, John, can you come over here a moment? Look, I don't want anyone to know about tonight, and I've been making some arrangements, and and don't tell the other disciples about this, but the two of you, can you go into town and look for a man carrying a pitcher of water? Now, that little bit of humor is lost on us in the West, because if you ever saw a man carrying a pitcher of water, well, you had truly seen something special. It was a very rare sight, right? Carrying a pitcher of water was something a man would never normally do. He'd get his wife to do it. And actually in South Africa, or Africa actually, uh, it's, there's something quite similar, right? So Africans have this amazing ability to carry baskets and heavy loads on their head. Uh, so he has a picture of it. You can see there. Now, question, how many men do you see in that picture? Yeah, if you can find one, you'll be the first. There aren't any, right? So it's kind of like in Africa, someone going, can you go out and find a man carrying a basket on his head? It was highly unusual. I always feel like when I talk about Africa now, I've got to talk about a donkey proverb, but I don't have one. Steve Early, I blame you. Um, But actually, they did find a man. They did. I I, I really think Jesus was actually right from that go, setting up and showing them what serving really looks like. But anyway, Peter and John, they got the meal ready. And what Peter didn't know, but Jesus knew full well that actually everything was was going according to plan. See, Jesus had deliberately challenged the political and the religious leaders by riding in on Jerusalem on a donkey. 
He already knew that they were plotting his death. He knew that he only had a few moments left of life, but he also knew all this was part of God's foreordained plan to rescue people. While all this was happening, he also knew that one of his disciples, someone who had walked with him for three years, eaten with him, slept near him, saw his life, every part of his life, one of the 12 had actually already arranged to turn him in to the religious authorities. But Jesus wanted that last night just with his disciples. He still had one or two things left to say to them to prepare them for what was, was coming. And he, he desperately wanted this, this farewell meal with them. Now, now, Jesus was the one who later that night was troubled in his heart, right? He should have been the one that was receiving comfort from his disciples. But yet, that whole evening, it's Jesus saying to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. He was comforting them and preparing them for all that lay ahead. So that's the setting, right? And now we enter the room. And since it had been secretly arranged, nobody knew about it except the man who owned the room. And therefore, there were no servants there. So when they came into the room, the very first thing they saw, they ignored. They just walked straight past it. And that's because it was a bowl of water and a towel. And since there was no servant there... Nobody used it, right? The Middle East, it's a very hot, dusty, dry climate. And those days, everybody walked everywhere. And as you walked, your feet became hot, sweaty, stinky, smelly. So podiatrists, high in demand at that time. But it was a good idea when you arrived at someone's house that you washed your feet before you ate, right? And it was great hospitality to someone to to have one of your servants wash their feet. Now, today, we don't travel on dusty roads, and we don't walk everywhere, so it's probably the equivalent of someone washing your car. So imagine someone really important invites you for dinner, and you arrive, and they come out, and they look at your car, and they go, oh, Grand Junction Road again, all those roadworks. Listen, I'm going to pay for someone to come and get your car washed. You'd probably feel a little bit uneasy, but, not, you know, thank you. But now what happens if you arrived, and that same person came out, looked at your car, shook their head, went back inside, got dressed in their shorts and T-shirts, their thongs, came outside with a bucket and a sponge, and started washing your car? you'd feel awkward, wouldn't you? That's what was happening. Now, there was this hierarchy of servants. And the very lowest servant was the one who washed feet, right? The one above that was the one who untied your sandals as you came in. So as you walked into a house, the first servant would untie your sandals, and then the very lowest servant, the one you looked on the least, would be the one who washed your feet. Now, it's interesting. There was a guy called John the Baptist. He was a very humble guy, and he said, I am not worthy to untie his sandals. So John the Baptist, being very humble, said, I'm not worthy to be the second lowest servant. 
which makes this even more shocking, that Jesus comes along and he puts himself even one lower than John the Baptist, right? It's one thing to untie people's shoes. It's quite another to wash what's inside those shoes, taking the lowest position. So they all ignored it. All 12 of them, they all walked straight past of it. They sat down, and they probably tried to hide their feet. In those days, they, they reclined at the table, probably with their head facing the table, and their feet out. Uh, so why didn't they wash each other's feet, right? If there wasn't a servant there, it was a common thing to do. Their feet were definitely dirty and stinky. Why didn't they just wash each other's feet? Well, they were far busy doing something else, which they thought was far more important than washing their feet. So what were they doing? Answer's actually quite simple. They were trying to grab the best seat at the table. You see, in the Middle East, you can tell a person's social position by where they sit, right? The most important person sits next to the person, right? So since they had been discussing who's the greatest, and since this was a real issue, they wanted to be Jesus' right-hand man the one right next to him. They must get close to Jesus. So, so Peter and John, they're scrambling. John gets there first. He's closest to Jesus. Peter got there second. He's second nearest. They were so busy trying to grab the best seat that they didn't wash their feet. And Jesus came down and he sat with them and he knew exactly what they were really trying to do. And then he does this unthinkable act, unthinkable act. This is what it says. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So Jesus looking at this bunch who's only thinking about themselves. They're trying so hard to jostle for position. He looks at them, he quietly stands up He strips down to his underwear, walks over to a bowl, and picks it up. Now, if that shocks you, that's exactly how the disciples would have felt, right? That's, I'm quoting the Bible, that's exactly what happened. Now, if if it was today, the disciples would have been pulling out their phones, and they would have gone to the emoji section, and that emoji that's got big wide eyes and the wide mouth they would have clicked that one and sent it to their friends because that's what they would have been, shocked. Oh my goodness, what did Jesus just do? Peter's thinking to himself, Jesus, this isn't right. This isn't right. You see, they had looked to Jesus as, as, as someone they regarded as above them. He was teacher, he was Lord, he was the rabbi. And foot washing, well, foot washing was below them. It was below their dignity. And yet we got, we got our teacher and Lord washing feet. See, Jesus has a habit of doing that. Right? I don't know about you, but if you walk with Jesus long enough, he'll mess with the way we think and the way we see things. You guys are allowed to say amen. Right? That is true. He does. You see, this was a lesson that Jesus was going to teach, and he just did it in the most brilliant way, right? You can tell he's a great teacher because he showed them before he told them, right? Great teachers do this. It spoke to their 
ears before it spoke, it spoke to their eyes before it spoke to their ears. But poor Peter, right? He just could not get his head around this, right? He wanted a Jesus that he could look up to, who one who was master and teacher, who had power and authority, and Jesus wasn't doing things by Peter's script. No, no, Jesus, you don't understand. Like, masters and teachers don't wash feet. They don't do that. So Peter does what he usually does, and he was going to tell Jesus what to do. Uh, This is what it says in verse 6. It says, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if, if, I, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said, well, Lord, not my feet only, but also my, my hands and my head. You see, Jesus had already began washing the disciples' feet, and he's going along, and then he got to Simon Peter. And Simon Peter suddenly remembered he's got this disease called foot in mouth. And he couldn't help himself but speak out. And he says, he goes straight into telling Jesus what he should do. Now, he's not asking this question humbly. He's not saying, Lord, do, do you wash my feet? He's actually, he's, he's rebuking Jesus. Like, Jesus, you've got this wrong. You, you're doing the wrong thing. And Jesus incredibly gently answers him and says to him, listen, Peter, what I'm doing is, is very profound. And you don't, you don't have the full picture yet. And one, sometime in the future, you're going to look back on, the, on this night. And you're going to look back on this moment, and you will understand, Peter. But until that time, you just need to trust me. Even though you don't fully understand, just trust me. Now, have you ever felt that way? You feel like you're going through something, and you just don't understand. It just doesn't make sense what the Lord seems to be doing in that event or in that season you have. And he just calls you to trust him. Trust me. And then years later, you look back on that event and you look back on that time in your life and you go, ah, Lord, that now I understand. Now I understand what you were doing through all that. And the truth is, sometimes in this life, we'll never understand all that he takes us through. But we are still called to trust him, to trust him. You know, but for Peter, that just didn't work. It literally went in one ear and out the other because it's probably not really what Peter wanted to hear in that moment. And he just plows on, right? He just, Peter keeps going and he says, never is that happening on, on my watch. Actually, in the Greek, it's a double negative, and it literally says it will not happen in this age. So basically what Peter is saying to Jesus, never in a million years are you going to wash my feet. See, what Simon Peter didn't realize is that his dirt needed dealing with. That was his greatest need in that moment, and he just couldn't see it. And Jesus said this, he said, Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you, talking to all the disciples, are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. 
And that was why he said, not all of you are clean. Now, Peter at this moment is probably a little bit embarrassed because he could have washed Jesus' feet, right? I mean, that would have been keeping with all that he felt was right. Jesus was Lord and Master. But why didn't he think of it? Because he was so busy trying to grab a position for himself, to be important for himself. So Peter didn't even think of saying, Lord, well, let me wash your feet. That would be better. No, it would have been a privilege and an honor, but Simon Peter was just thinking about himself. So Jesus had to say something to Peter, which every one of us has to hear and learn, and it is one of the hardest lessons to learn. See, Jesus said, unless, unless you let me wash you, you have no, we have nothing to share, Peter. He's basically saying, you have no part with me. Or literally, we have no partnership. We can't go on together unless you let me do this. Peter, this is the end if you cannot let me wash you. See, and here is the most important lesson. This is it. It is not what you do for the Lord, but what the Lord does for you that establishes the relationship. It's not what you do for the Lord, but what the Lord does for you that establishes the relationship. You see, the trouble is, we can give, but we get to keep our pride, right? We give, but we keep our pride. But now here's the trouble. We can't receive and keep our pride. And that's a problem for us. We struggle with that, right? I know lots of men and women who serve and serve and serve, and that is a beautiful thing. That's what we're called to do. But those same people find it incredibly difficult to accept help from others. They find it easy to serve. They find it easy to help others, but they struggle to receive help. Does, it, does anybody struggle with that? Right? You think... Oh, I'm I actually, I, no, no, I'm the one who helps everyone else. I, I don't need help. I'll help you. You see, that's one of the major differences about being a follower of Jesus, about being a Christian. Every other religion says, listen, you've got to do this, this, and this to become this. You've got you to pray five times a day. You've got to fast. You've got you to give, and then you'll be a Muslim. You've got to meditate. You've got to deny yourself. Then you'll be a Buddhist. And what Jesus does is he comes along and he says, no, first of all, you are washed. You are clean. You're now a child of God. Therefore, therefore, now you are free to serve and love one another. He flips it completely the other way around. You see, pride will say, pride will say, look what I've done for him. Right? We might not physically say those words, but we can show it in what we do. And all Jesus is saying, I just want you to get clean. Will you let me do this for you? You see, it's, it's actually true of, of most of our relationships, of all our relationships, that you, you, if you really want to go deep in a relationship and a friendship, you have to be willing to receive help as much as give it. Right? And that is most certainly true of your relationship with God. You see, you, you can't begin until you come to him and get him to do something that you can't do. 
And you have to do it from a humble disposition and realize you have nothing in my hand I bring only to your cross I cling. You have to realize that you have to lay down your pride at the cross and allow him, allow him to take it. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but self-sufficient people, people who think, I don't need help from everyone, I've got it all, I don't need help from anyone, they usually don't have the great depth of relationships. And that's kind of where Peter was, right? What he didn't understand, that relationship with Jesus is a covenant. It's not a contract, right? We don't come and negotiate our way into the kingdom. Well, Jesus, you do this and I'll do this. No, what Jesus says is on his terms. It's only on his terms. There's no bargaining, right? And his terms are this, four words. Let me wash you. Those are his sole terms of the contract. Four words. Let me wash you. And we need to realize that we have all have dirt that we need dealing with. We all have dirt that needs dealing with, right? It's sin that, that, that we need cleansing from. We serve a holy God, and it's not like as if you can, well, if I do a whole bunch of good works, they will kind of take care of my bad deeds, and that'll just balance the whole thing out. No, sin stains. Sin separates you from a holy God. And what you need to do is need to be clean of that sin. And Jesus is the only one who can do that. The only one who can do that. But Peter, he's just been told this. He's like, he's not there yet. And he, he's determined to dictate his terms, right? And he, he responds in this typically human fashion with this grand gesture, right? He's, he's still, he's desperate to be different from the 12, right? He's desperate to stand out. And he says, well, you know, Lord, if you've washed the other's feet, like, I, I really, I want to be closest. I want to be more devoted than anyone. So, Lord, wash my, wash my head, wash my hands, wash my feet, everything, everything. I want to be totally yours. Now, it sounds like such a pious statement, right? And it may be it sounded quite impressive to the other disciples, but it didn't impress Jesus, you see, Peter was still telling Jesus what to do. We can be good at that. I can be good at that. Jesus, you've got to do it this way. You see, all of them, they would have had to bath before the Passover. That was part of what they did. They would have had to have a bath. And Jesus would have said, Peter, you, before you came here, you had a bath. Your hands, your face, they don't need washing. It's your feet that are dirty. You just picked up a bit of dirt between, between Bethany and here. Peter, that's all I want to deal with. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but how, how Peter swings from these extremes. He can go from, in like a short space of time, he starts off with, never, you will never wash my feet in a million years, and suddenly he's like, Lord, wash all of me. Like the same conversation, right? All these from one side to the other. And Jesus is saying, like, I just want you to look simply and squarely and be honest with the dirt that we have. That's why we take communion. It's this moment to stop and go, Lord, my feet are dirty. I picked up stuff this week. I just, I just want you to wash me. 
I can't do it. And he reminds us, I've already won it for you. You are already clean. That's what he wants. But often in our, in, our, in our fleshly self, we swing from extreme to extreme. Lord, we'll serve you with everything. We'll be at every single service. We'll do everything you want us to do. And then, oh, I'm not going to church today. Oh, I'm not doing that for you. Jesus says, Peter, do you understand? All of you, do you understand what I've done? You see, this is far more to this foot-washing business than just getting dirt off someone's feet. Right? Do you understand? I mean, if it was simply about getting dirt off somebody's feet, then everybody understands that. Somebody had to do it. They had dirty feet, and Jesus did it. What's there really to understand? But actually, there's something so much more, so much more profound that Jesus is doing. And we can kind of look at this through three levels. And the first one is the physical level, right? They had a need, dirty feet. And Jesus meets their need. Jesus still does that today. It's the same Jesus. He still meets our physical needs. Thousands of testimonies that each and every one of us, I'm sure, have about times the Lord has has met your physical need. The same Jesus. But the second level looks at the story where it's something, it's it's far more profound, It's, it's deeply spiritual. And Jesus would say, you are not all clean, right? You are not all clean. Now, he's speaking spiritually because Judas would have also had to have a bath before Passover. He would have washed Judas's feet. But he's able to say, no, not all of you are clean. He's teaching them, listen, what I'm doing is it's, it's a spiritual picture of what I need to do for you. I can't do it with Judas. But I'm going to do it for the rest of you, and I have done it for the rest of you. And I want you to see my main purpose in coming is to get you clean. To get you clean so you can now be... Go before the Father. But there is a third level. And the third level is, I believe, one of the main points in in this passage. And that is, it's not just merely meeting your physical need. It's a moral act, which is an example to us all. Right Now, Jesus wasn't coming along and he wasn't instituting the tradition of washing each other's feet. Because if that were true, we're failing miserably. When was the last time someone in church washed your feet? Right? We don't tend to do... I actually tried this once, and uh, it also failed miserably. But I was, I was, this was in Hong Kong at Watermark, and I thought I'd come up with this brilliant idea. Now, that's always dangerous when I think I've come up with a brilliant idea. But I, I said to our elders, listen, I want you guys to come and I want you to wash the staff's feet. You know, the beautiful picture of servanthood, wash their feet. And anyway, they, they agreed. They said, oh, that's a good idea. We'll do it. And then I went to the staff, and I said, hey, guys, great idea. Um, I've got the elders to come and wash our feet. Now, surprisingly, they weren't that excited. They said, really? Do you know, like, our feet? Like, really? They want, like, my toenails and stuff? Like, yeah, we're going to wash your feet. It's a great idea. And they were like, can't we, just, can't we just have a meal together? And I'm like, no, no, they're going to wash your feet. Now, when that night came, everyone arrived with the best-looking feet the world has ever seen. They had been to pedicures the whole week because you took that shoe off and it sparkled. 
right? The feet didn't actually need to be washed at all. So we kind of, that's not what Jesus is trying to get us to do. But he is, he is showing us this is a profound model. It's a principle that he's putting into place. Here's the message. In the kingdom of God, there is power and authority, but there is also love. And they go together. You see, love with power is service. It is service. It's amazing that Jesus, knowing that the Father had put all things under his power, put himself under other people to serve them. He had all the power, all the authority that he ever needed, and yet he served others. See, that's what power does when there's love in it. You see, I think Peter eventually got that message. Because you see it later in his life when he wrote this in his letter. He said this, as each of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Gone is the Peter who was only looking out for himself, was looking out he could get ahead, what he could get a special spot. Now suddenly we have the same Peter saying, you know what? As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So whose example do we follow? Do we step out of here into our our Monday world and suddenly we, we look up at those who are in authority and power and we treat them special? Do we think that they, they deserve more? And do we, do we find certain things that are below us? You know, so much of advertising will tell it, you deserve it. So much of the holiday packages that we look at are about going away and being served. Now, there's nothing wrong with going on a holiday and having a little bit of service, but it appeals to something in us that we're special. We get to be served. You know, in the the Middle East at this time, you could buy a slave for 30 pieces of silver. Now, who was sold for 30 pieces of silver? Jesus. There was this great ambition that if you got a slave, then finally you could have someone who would serve you Your whole life. Now you had someone who would do all that horrible stuff that you didn't need to do. That was the goal, the ambition. And Judas like, well, I can get a slave. Someone to serve me. Or do we follow Jesus' example where he's humble himself. He knew the authority and the power that he had. He didn't use it. He used it to love others by serving them. Now, we don't need to take off our outer garments and wash feet. But we do truly need to understand that to begin serving one another, we need to understand how much Jesus has served us. That's where it begins, right? We need a cleansing that only he could provide. And you know what? He served us at our absolute worst. Not when we were the most lovable, not when we had clean feet, when we were dirty. And he came. He didn't only just cleanse you, but he went to the cross and he took your gross, 
dirty sin upon himself. All of it. All of it. And he gave you his righteousness. It was a great cost to himself. But he did it. And he gave you gifts. He gave all of us gifts. And he said, use them to serve one another, right? Don't think the gifts that you've been given are there to exalt yourself and make, make yourself look pretty good. And whenever you hear yourself having this little voice in your head that says, mm, I, I wish I had their gift, or you find yourself, you know, you're becoming a little bit envious of a gift that someone else has, just stop and ask yourself why. Why, why does it make you envious? Because if every gift that you have is not really about you, it's about using it to serve others, then who cares? Who cares what anyone else has? I've been given a gift and I want to use it to serve others. Now, do we realize, Oakton, do we realize that everyone, everyone has been given something to give? See, all of us, all of us, the priesthood of all believers. And you know what? The church is less of a church. It's less of a body if we're not using our gifts that he's given us. Now, you might ask the question, well, I, I don't really know where to serve or what to do. Well, look for opportunities. Pray and look for opportunities. They're everywhere. In the big things, but also in the small things. But the one place I really would commend you to start is begin in the home. Ask that question, what can I do to serve my family? What can I do to serve my wife today? How can I serve my husband today? Not just when they ask me to do something, but just to see a need and to serve them in it. You know, it's interesting. Biblically, when you're asked to examine church leaders, and to see whether they're worthy to lead the flock. You know, the one place that you're pointed to go is look at them in the home. Look what kind of husbands they are. Look what kind of fathers they are. Look how they serve in their homes. And then at the church, don't, please don't ever get the idea that we have it all together and everything runs smoothly every week. It doesn't. It doesn't. There's needs everywhere. We want to serve this community. We want to display Jesus. We want to make him known. We need everybody to use the gifts that God's given them. You know, there was this, this friends of ours, Dave and Tracy Sparrow, uh, and they, they noticed that there was this couple in our church that had been struggling for a while. They'd been going through some stuff. And so what they did is they invited them around for dinner. And uh, as, as this couple pulled into the driveway, Dave and Tracy came out and said, oh, we forgot to get drinks. We're so sorry. We're just going to jump in the car, go down to the supermarket, and we'll be back in 10 minutes. But let yourself in, and we'll see you in 10 minutes. And this couple walked inside, and in their home, Dave and Tracy's home, they had set out this table, this lavish feast for them. And on the table was a card that said, hey, we understand that you guys have been going through a difficult time. We want you to just relax and enjoy yourself tonight. The roast's in the oven, the dessert's in the fridge. We've gone to a movie, and we're not going to be back for three hours. Just enjoy. What a gift. What a gift. But to notice that someone else is in need 
and to act on it and love them in that way. Now, church, what I want to say to us is that I feel I've been so blessed to be able to see this. I feel that we are a church that does this. You know, we saw it supremely in camp a couple of weeks ago where people were just serving one another. You know, that we had young, the old, everyone was coming together. People were cooking together. They were cleaning up. There was meals. There was music. There was tech. Uh, people were looking after each other's children. It was love on display. You know, because Jesus said this. He said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. You see, by definition, love is to serve one another. Love is to serve one another, right? And City Reach, I believe Jesus is building his church. He is shaping and molding us to be like Jesus. Whenever we, we look at our church, we shouldn't, we shouldn't think of all the stuff that we have. We shouldn't be impressed by all the programs that we have. No, the question that we ask ourselves the question that we should be able to answer is, do they love one another? That is going to determine us as a church. Do they love one another? Because if you love one another, that means that you love him. Because the, the love of God is, is a very difficult thing for someone who doesn't know Jesus to see. We can tell them about it. We can proclaim the gospel. It's a difficult thing to see. But what will they see is how we love one another how we care for one another. Countless times. I had a beautiful letter from John Cambridge just about camp, and his daughter and her friend had come along. And he said that first night, his daughter and his friend were camping. They're brave. They camped in the cold. But she said, isn't this a, a lovely bunch of people, Dad? They really love each other. It was seen. It was seen, church, by what we do. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we serve one another out of reverence for Christ? Or do we see him and we go, Lord, one of the best ways that I can love you and serve you is to serve one another, to put my needs aside and to serve you. City Reach, we serve a beautiful Savior, a beautiful Savior who cleanses us, who washes us clean, who calls us his child. You know, and that same Jesus that was in that room washing his disciples' feet is with us today, still wanting to do the same for us. Wash us clean. Draw us close to him. Will you stand with me and let's worship this Jesus? Lord Jesus, it should humble us in so many ways that you took on the nature of a servant that you came and that you serve me, you serve everyone here, Lord God. Father, thank you that you loved us to take our sin upon yourself and to give us your righteousness. Lord, I pray that you would mold us as you are doing into a church that loves and serves and forgives one another. Lord, and we need you, we need your spirit to be able to do that. Help us to love you that we might love one another. And thank you for all these beautiful brothers and sisters in Christ who lay aside their own 
desires to serve one another. Lord, continue to mold us into this kind of church that is known for how we love you and how we love one another. Amen.